Hello, everyone. Welcome to China Morning Podcast. I'm Eudora Wang, sitting in for Nina Xiang. Our guest today is Lisa Randall, an American theoretical physicist working in particle physics and cosmology at Harvard University. Her research covers elementary particles, fundamental forces, and extra dimensions of space. Lisa Randall spoke to Nina Xiang during an interview this month in Hong Kong. They talked about the extra dimensions illustrated in Christopher Nolan's science fiction film Interstellar and the Chinese popular science fiction The Three Body Problem, as well as Beijing's ambitious plan in building the world's most powerful particle collider and how it may influence the country's research environment in the future. Here's the interview. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Professor Randall. Welcome. You were just at the Tencent Wei Summit yesterday、um, on Sunday in Beijing. How was your experience at the summit this year? It was really wonderful to be there.、Um, the audiences are so enthusiastic. They were really interested in basic science, which was great. I got to see one of my favorite colleagues, Kip Thorne, who was also speaking, and everyone there was really interesting. Who was there? So it, it seemed to be a very nice event. How many times have you been to China before? This is only my second trip to China, which I'm sad to say because I really like it here. And what were some of the things that surprised you,、uh, either you know during your, your experience、uh, during the summit or during your trip in Beijing?、Um, you know, it's interesting. I think what's interesting is sort of the contrast between what things are like on a small scale and a big scale. And a big scale is just overwhelming. There's so many people. You're in cars, and it's very busy. But then.、Um, I went with some friends to a park, and it was just lovely. And people were performing there and、um, just doing their things. Some people were singing, some people were dancing, and it was just a beautiful fall colors. It was really beautiful. So it was a really big contrast.、Um, so I guess I like also the、um, interest in the arts as well as science that you have there. So, well. Your focus area for your research is、uh, physics and particle physics, and、uh, I want to get your thoughts on how the Chinese research community has been doing in this space. If you look at the global top 20 best universities to study physics, 12 are American universities, and only one university is from China, which is Tsinghua University. Of course, in the list we also have France, Russia, and Italy. Uh, represented in the list. So, why do you think American universities are so strong in providing good physics research environment? And what should China do to improve this? Well,、um, you know, we have a longer history of, of doing this.、Um, I think it's only recently that China has had this very、um, big modernizations, and which has changed it quite a lot. I should say that right now,、um, one of my postdocs is from Tsinghua, and he's fantastic. And you know, one of the ways I say it is, you know, if you have a billion people, the tale of the Gaussian is going to be pretty outstanding. You know, there's just so many people here that you, you're bound to have amazing talent. I also have a Chinese student as well, but she's a graduate student at Harvard.、Um, there's also wonderful colleagues who are, are at Tsinghua and、uh, no, in China. So I think、um, you know, one of the things that happens, I think, is it just changes over time as more outstanding people. Decide that there is a research environment. One thing they're doing now is promoting experiments and observations. So as experiments get built up, I think just groups get built up along with it. So we see dark matter experiments, we see particle experiments, perhaps.、Um, I mean, there's some that exist, but maybe even major ones, maybe gravity waves.、Um, so a lot of the hot topics that people are thinking about doing. 
but also, um, you know, I think that there's some great people and they will start to attract them. There's a lot of resources. Um, one thing that might work a little bit against, um, both for and against, is I think it's definitely so far it seems like it's a great man kind of um, environment where there's one person who gets a lot of the resources and people have to accommodate that. Um, it doesn't mean that within that if there's the right person in charge, they don't do wonderful things and have great flexibility. But I think um, to some extent having a less hierarchical system eventually might help. So basically you think China is on, on the right track given time? It will catch up? I don't think there's one track in China, just like there's not one type of person. I think some of the tracks are definitely right. And, you know, I think there's also... I mean, you know, it was interesting talking to some of the people at the summit. And, you know, so on the one hand, science is sort of peaking. But on the other hand, a lot of people are looking at tech and business and thinking get-rich-quick schemes. And so more commercial or, I mean, obviously tech does wonderful things too. But, they, you know, it's more instant gratification. And so I think it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve to figure out how to create a stable scientific environment. But overall, you're, you're, it sounds like you're quite... Um optimistic or, or... This is optimistic. I mean, I've certainly spoken to colleagues who are just over the top and think everything's going to happen in China. Um, you know, I think there is some learning to be done, but the, the rate of change is so fast that if things continue at this rate of change, of course, it will be wonderful. Maybe it was uh, serendipity that last night I actually dreamt about a scene from a movie called Interstellar and where the father Cooper was uh, stuck in a 5D dimension and was making books fall from the bookshelf to send messages to her daughter. So that was actually the first time I ever dreamed of the movie after I watched it. And it was so um, strange that today I'm meeting you and you know one of your focus areas is extra dimensions. Even though you said when describing... Um, hard to understand concepts like extra dimensions. A thousand words is better than one picture. But did you find the depiction in the movie, you know, doing the theory justice? Well, I should say that everything in the movie... So you should really be giving this question to Kip Thorne, who's also at the summit, and actually was much more involved with Interstellar than, than I ever was. But I think that... Um, I personally don't think it helps me visualize it. It's not that they did anything inaccurate, but I think that it's, you know, they have to make it visible to people looking at a screen, which means that some of the subtle effects that are on scales that you'd never be able to see with your naked eye w won't be shown in a movie. So although technically correct and a exciting and fun, and it's certainly, I've spoken to people who've become interested in science because of this. Um, I d I, for me, I don't think it's necessarily illustrated in the kind of dimensions that I'm thinking about. And of course, you have explained this many times about how do you think about extra dimensions. Uh, what is the best way to, to think about this concept? Depends what question you're asking. Um, so there are some th questions where you're just trying to imagine what things might look like and you think about slices or projections and how you'd put those together to create a higher dimensional object. There's some questions like the kind of questions I looked at in physics where there are symmetries, so I can just draw a two-dimensional thing but just say this line represents three dimensions, which of course is a bit of an assumption, but it helps me think about it. So there are pictures you can draw, but you have to be clear on what everything represents. One of the theories you have been talking a lot about is extra dimension, like the fifth dimension. And I'm not sure if you read uh, science fictions, but one of the really popular science fiction books from China was The Three-Body Problem. And in it, it has a weapon called two-dimension two dimension foil, and that um, actually decreases the, the dimensions we have in the world that we know, as we know it. 
how do you think about this dimensional theories where you know dimension can increase but also it can decrease? Well, that's actually one of the things we did research on. We showed that um, in addition to being having, you could ask if there are extra dimensions, why don't we see them? And one of the reasons could well be that they're very small, and so we just don't see it because it's too small to see. But another reason could be that um, it's very warped, and that's what we discovered, that the geometry could just be such that it really hides dimensions. It hides um, the dimensions by focusing gravity in a very small region of the extra-dimensional space. So we think about real ways that dimensions can be hidden. And I have to say, when I was coming to China, a lot of people have mentioned this book. It seems to be quite the hit here. I meant to read it, but I didn't get to it. Sorry. But, but how, how do you think about like, dimensionally decreasing you know, the level or how many dimensions we have? But that's what we're doing. When you have a curled up dimension, you see it as lower dimensional. The dimension exists, but it's very tiny. So if you don't see it, you might as well... I mean, imagine a string. A string is truly three-dimensional. But you see it as a one-dimensional object because the other dimensions are just tiny. And so nothing interesting is happening physics-wise in those dimensions as far as you're concerned. You're thinking of a string oscillating up and down or whatever it's doing. And so I think, and so we had this case where a geometry could be so warped. So again, the geometry has those other dimensions, but we don't observe them. So as from, from any, any test we can do so far... Any way we think about it, we might as well assume it's not there. So it's more of a question of what the physical influences are and how we observe them and whether they have detectable influences. Another area of your research is particle physics. Currently, the largest particle collider, the Large Hadron Collider uh, near Geneva, is a testing tube for physicists to test predictions of different theories of particle physics. As you may know, there has been a long-lasting debate in China about if China should build a super particle collider. Should a country like China or, or any other country build its own particle collider? Well, I think at this point, um, you'll have the cooperation of the international community. I think, um, I mean, personally, I don't care who builds it. I just want it to be built because I think there's new physics to be discovered there. So I'm very excited that China is, is, seriously take, is taking this seriously and thinking about putting resources into doing that. Um, I think ev everyone could benefit from it. Um, you know, th they're also thinking about other major projects like gravity wave detectors, which are also major, which also I'm very excited about. I think um, it would be great if China participates in this. And um, yes, I mean, it would be a question of where it is and who's putting up a lot of the resources to some extent. But in terms of the science, I think it would be an international project for sure. I think one of the major debate in China is about the cost-benefit analysis. A lot of scientists or, or uh, experts argue that, you know, China is still a poor country, so perhaps the money or the resources is better spent elsewhere on improving people's lives or improving jobs markets or practical matters. Well, I don't think it's a trade-off between just those two things. I mean, every country spends on many different things. And uh, in terms of really developing the country, having a strong scientific program is often the backbone of every advanced industrialized society. So it's hard to see the country really coming into the forefront without having great science, and I think it will. Um, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't help poor people, but there's other places in the budget that you can look to, and you don't have to necessarily look to science to be funding those things. There's many different aspects of what a, a, a government's money goes into. 
And of course, this is connected to the first issue we discussed, which is how the research environment in China uh, is in terms of its advancement compared to other countries. Do you feel, you know, having facilities like the particle collider, or you know, I guess a more infrastructure type of um, foundations that China is very good at will help, you know, in a great way to push China forward? In I, I can't answer all these questions, but I can say that already, just the prospect of having this collider has、um, brought a lot of American physicists, who I know—I mean, maybe other countries as well—to China, and they've given courses, they've taught, they've gotten to know people, students, students have attended. So it's already bringing—you know—just the idea that it might exist already has been an incentive for many people to come here. And、um, you know, there's institutes being developed, and you know, there's some really good scientists who are spending time in China now, that who wouldn't if there were not the infrastructure.、Um, does that change things overnight? No, but does it、um, make a big difference? Probably yes. To have a lot of students who are getting so, to benefit from some of the expertise in China and outside China, how could that hurt?、Um, so,、um, you know, it's it's always really hard. You know, it's like. If you ever just went and evaluated, you know, the cost, of, at least in America, of university education, it would be very hard to add up the numbers because, of course, it completely makes a difference in your life. But if you say, "Well, was this course worth it?" you might individually say no, but it adds up to something big. And so I think having, you know, just just the expression that you're putting a lot of interest in science, in addition to the actual science itself, which of course will matter,、um, but also. It's not like these results happen overnight. There's a lot of expertise that goes into it. So developing the technology, developing the expertise, developing the numerical methods, all of it, and the physics,、um, all go in, go into making a more robust scientific environment. What other things should China do in order to make it even a better environment? <laughs> well, I think that requires some thought. I haven't、um, given. I haven't. But I think.、Um, but I, I think some of the things that are happening are right. I think.、Um, Creating incentives for good people to be here is obviously、uh, one of the things that helps. I think,、um, you know, creating an environment where people get not only the very solid education they get, but where ideas can get heard, where creativity is encouraged as well,、um, where students are listened to.、Um, look, I've met some really great students from Tsinghua, for example, and it's one of the one of the benefits I had of coming to China was meeting some of the really great students of Professor Hay. You know, but I do think that having the experiments themselves is, has also made a big difference. But I think also one really does eventually have to look at this idea of like, do you just fund great people, like you know, who then have determine everything, or do you spread resources a little more widely so that、um, you know younger people can be a little more independent, and that might help as well. So one of the project that's under consideration in China right now is a circular electron-positron collider, which is a long-term collider project spearheaded by China. The machine is expected to collide electron and positron beams at the center of mass energy of 240 to 250 GeV. So the collider is、uh, is supposedly going to start construction in 2021 and be completed in 2027. And the machine is expected to start data taking in 2028, and will run effectively until 2035. That sounds like a really long-term project, and、um, the 240, 250 GeV, and is a huge increase compared to the current、uh, current level that can be achieved. How excited are you about this project, and what do you think are some realistic、um, results or 
or, or testing results can be achieved from this. So the idea behind this project is not only to do the electron-positron collider, which is very exciting and can do detailed studies of Higgs boson interactions, among other things, but to use this as a first step to building a tunnel so that you can build the highest energy machine available. So the Large Hadron Collider was a wonder at CERN in Gene- near Geneva has been a wonderful success, but we would like to get higher energies to really understand basically what's going on, what underlies the standard model. So the, it, this is sort of based on the idea of how the LHC was made, which was there was first a, a collider at CERN that also collided together electrons and positrons, and then it was changed to be a collider that collided together protons. And so that would be the model for what we're thinking about in China, where you'd have that first collider to build, do detailed Higgs boson measurements, and then after that you could even think about having a hadron collider with protons, which could achieve the highest energies ever achieved before, which um, would be amazing. So, I mean, look, this would be groundbreaking. It would be really a, a, a jump in energy, and there's good reasons to think that we would discover something there. So, I mean, I'm personally, I mean, very selfishly, of course, um, would be super excited about this, and I think a lot of my colleagues would be. But when you look at physics, the timeline is really, really long term. So we're talking about 2028, 2035. You know, by that time, who knows what, you know, what kind of discoveries we would have already made with uh, physics theories. Well, there's some truth in that. But if we don't build things, there, we won't be making that many discoveries. I mean, what we might find are hints of other things. But unless we get to these energies, there might be stuff that we'll just never see. And you could say the same thing about the Higgs boson. You could say the same thing about gravity waves. Both of those took 50 years before we found them. And it was people who persevered and knew, you know, believed this would be possible that made it happen. So, I mean, of course, you know, I'm like the rest of us, you know, wish things could happen really quickly. And some things will. But there are some things that really just are long-term investments. For this project in particular, how should China cooperate with other countries? This might be outside my field of expertise, but I think it certainly will need... um, I mean, there's expertise in how to design these things, there's expertise in experiments, there's expertise in analyzing the data. And I do think it will be a tricky political issue, you know, especially given all the visa problems people have now and given all the mistrust that's been developed of late. And we're going to have to find science getting beyond that, and that's going to be tricky because it does involve a lot of technology. So I'm not going to solve any problems, but I'm saying that cooperation will be very important, and we have to figure out how to do it. So every day at work, you're thinking about grand theories concerning universes, space, and time. But of course, you also live in our four-dimensional world of country politics, race, class, and cultural differences. Is traveling between these two different dimensional worlds difficult for you? Because you have to constantly shift between, you know, one very grand um, and very conceptual world and one very practical and real. You know, I end my book by saying, you know, when some of these problems get to you, you know, just look up. There's a great world out there to explore and understand might not be the exact words, but, you know, absolutely. It can be distracting when you see the horrible things going on, sometimes on a daily basis. On the other hand, it reminds you why it matters. I mean, this is related to the question of, like, should you fund science when you have all these other problems? I mean, you have to be inspired by something, or we'd like to be inspired. We'd like to be making progress. And the one thing that is true in science is we make progress. I mean, we, we do understand more than we did before. How we use it is another question, but just our understanding gets better. So... In some ways, it's 
hard to go back and forth. In some ways, I can get very easily distracted. But in some ways, it's nice to have this refuge of, of things that really do matter to go back to. Now, consider a scenario where one of our physics theories is proved to be right or wrong, and which will bring the most chilling effect on our understanding of the universe. What would that be? Chilling. What do you mean by chilling? I guess unsettling or or proven, you know, proving something fundamentally incorrect, or you know, our past knowledge of how we understand everything.、Um, I'd have to think about that.、Um, I. You know, I think if the laws of physics ever broke down, or we ever reached a point where we couldn't make the laws of physics find laws of physics that worked, that would be unsettling.、Um, in terms of actual discoveries within the context of what we understand today, I mean, there's a lot of things I would be excited about, but、um, I'm not sure which ones I would consider unsettling. Maybe if the universe were to were to be able to decay in a reasonable amount of time, but there's good reasons to think that's not the case. So. I don't really have anything that I'm too worried about right now. <laughs> Great, thank you, Professor Randolph, for your time. Thank you very much for having me.